0: This is your go-to podcast dedicated to getting the exclusive scoop from the industry's top influencers that are helping to shape the cybersecurity, audit, and IT governance landscape. Tune in as we dig deep and learn their motivators, explore their industry journey, and investigate their ideas and predictions on what the future holds. This is Cyber Pros.
1: Welcome to the show. Hi, my name is John Brandt, Director of Professional Practices and Innovation here at ISACA. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Janai Marinkovic. You know, I, I love the fact that you partnered with with a uh, with a, P, a chief people officer, oh, right? Gotta uh, give advantage. <laughs> absolutely, you know, and, and, and to me, I think our industry is almost a leading indicator because if you look at the research, we used to say um, lifelong learning, And if you look at the research right, or the the writings on that right now, it's actually matured and morphed into lifelong employability, which largely speaks to what you just talked about, about vulnerability. Listen, anxieties, like all of this stuff, these, these physiological responses that largely speaking, we're not very good at, right? When you look at some of the mental health challenges that are out there. And, and again, it's one of these things it's like, and even in my former occupation within the military, like it's absolutely tragic. Some of these, you know, to hear, you know, folks that take their lives in these type of Mm -hmm. of roles. And it's like, uh, it's not, we can't solve it overnight. But to me, I think what you, what you said was really important is not only is it, career killing attributes but what are the attributes that are that really are going to f- prevent you from a some kind of enjoyable life like yeah. is, we're first of all we're not meant to do life alone like at the end of the day we're just that's not the species at large so that be beca- that's definitely you know a challenging thing there so you had talked about initially some of the different, ch- you know, the, the four components to the program. Anything else you want to add about that? I do know, like, I think that we had talked about how you use our data to influence oh, it. Yes. So I would love for you to highlight that and, and how and what you're seeing so far, albeit I do believe that, you know, you we're still in the midst of it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's um, several different areas of the state of security report that uh, helped inform us as to what we needed uh, to, you know, what were the, the skills that we really needed to hyper focus on based on the industry. I mean, your thumb is on the pulse of, um, you know, uh, certainly on the GRC side of, uh, you know, what what hiring managers are actually looking for in terms of bringing people on board. And so there's a a couple of kind of key areas Uh, identified that hands on cybersecurity experience, 73 percent. That means qualified. Right. So whatever we did, we knew that we were going to have to make sure that there was an applied component, but a real applied component. We identified that the top skills gaps were soft skills, cloud computing, and then security controls. We over-index on soft skills. We make sure that from day one, the teams, they're set up in teams and they reconfiguring different teams to work together to solve different things. Um, you know, we make sure that they present. In VR, all of the students have to get on a TED Talk stage and, um, and have to be able to present. Um, We teach them how to build presentations and decks. We teach them design um, so they understand things such as uh, personas and archetypes and how to communicate based on that. So we hyper focus on all of those, including problem solving and (laughs) critical thinking. But cloud computing, so uh, one of the things that the Cloud Security Alliance has done, and they're one of our key partners, and so I want to say thank you very much to the Cloud Security Alliance, is that they work with us so that all the students are able to take the CCSK, and they um, donate that for some of our students. Uh, And so one of the things we're able to do is then deliver a basic cloud security curriculum and the certification attached to that. And then controls, we teach ISO 27001 and we decided to focus on 27001 because out of all the frameworks, obviously not NIST 800-53, that's too much for a junior person. ISO does a couple of things. One, it teaches you how to build a program end to end. And the key thing is that it's risk-based, which is another right thing that came out of the state of security is like this, this focus on risk, um, this understanding of risk. And so uh, we teach the students how to perform risk assessments, how to do an asset inventory well, how to do business impact analyses. And then they actually, uh, as part of the apprenticeship, some of them get the chance either to participate in building an ISO 27001 program or they get the opportunity to audit one. And so that way they understand the basics of what a program kind of looks should like, they understand uh, controls. They understand cloud security. They're coming to the table with a set of communication skills and human skills that others um, don't have. And those are just a couple of things, like right off the bat, uh, you know, that we end up teaching the uh, the students that come out of court.
1: That's awesome. So you, you brought up VR a couple of times. So oh, yeah. talk to me, why the metaverse? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, what happened with our last class is uh, I cannot tell you the number of risk assessments they had to do, because what we would do is we would identify a company it didn't matter what and you, based on public information, had to reverse engineer their tech stack. And then you had to run it, you had to run it through an asset inventory. And then after that, you had to perform a risk assessment based on what you knew about that company. And they did it over and over and over again against so many companies. And do you know when it came for them to interview? That many of them could not define risk. And so my heart, <laughs> my heart dropped. And then I took a step back and I was like, wait a minute, risk is hard. Risk is way harder than I think I gave. I, I, didn't, I didn't give credit to 20 years of, of experience and business knowledge necessary to be able to do a simple risk assessment. I didn't give value to that. And so We had to figure out a way, how do you get more engagement? How do you get the retention of a lot of this information so that it's not just I'm going through the motions, I actually understand what I'm doing. And so we took a step back and identified that metaverse might be an option. And so dove in and started uh, building out the curriculum and said, at first we were going to do it so that it's like one class a week. Then we're like, no that's not how you learn. If you're going to do it, let's do it right. And uh, we go all in. And which means that we go all in on all the mistakes, and we go all in on all the failures. And so redesigned the curriculum for this group of students. So all the students get VR headsets. We work with a platform called Engage VR. Uh, and they learn how to present content in a virtualized environment. They learn how to build worlds. You know, so you have the opportunity from just a flat floor and a white sky to be able to build these amazing worlds based on the message and the information you're trying to communicate. If I'm talking to Shell and we want to give a presentation on an oil rig, guess what? We can. Um, If we're doing a presentation where we're talking about cybersecurity in a hospital, there's a hospital. We can do that. Right. You can create the environment. But here is the big key. A couple things. One is uh, uh, you can't multitask. I have you for an hour (laughs) or till that headset dies. Uh, So that means that I have your uh, attention. Uh, The next thing is, is that you have to change the way you present in VR because you can't see the same way. Uh, Even if you have a 50 foot screen in there, um, small text doesn't translate. So what that means is that the students have to engage and re-engage with the information in a way that it forces them to learn. The next is is that VR lends itself to storytelling. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. Uh, We're telling stories based on the information that we've collected in a way that allows people to make decisions. So how do you tell a story? How do you take all of this information we've gathered and tell a story? VR is is designed for being able to do that. And so by combining the curriculum and teamwork, they learn how to work together in teams, You don't know how hard it is to work in VR until you tell everybody to line up and create a screen and want everybody to just line up their screens. It took 45 minutes to get everybody to be able to do it. But what it does is it teaches us how to operate inside of VR. And so what we found is that the engagement levels are higher, the ability to articulate risk. Is um, a lot better. Um, and that just the emotional impact of being in, in a virtualized environment instead of Zoom you know, is, is positive. But here's one other big thing the metaverse is not a gimmick, it's not a game, um, it's real. And uh, I, I don't think we're giving it just due when it comes to cybersecurity and uh, not just the idea of responsible for protecting the systems on the outside. But actually, there is a place for cybersecurity people to be inside VR as part of that protection and defense team. Uh, if you think of malicious you know, avatar bots, right, as malicious code as malware, a lot of these things are going to be detected by people inside the system and not just outside the system. And if we're having to work together to defend, protect and defend these environments, like I said, it took 45 minutes to get people to just line up. Um, so what do we think it's going to be like having people inside VR working together as teams? You've got to, the only way to fix it, the only way to do that is to be able to do it in VR and make no mistake, adversaries are already doing it.
1: So let me ask you something. So, you know, and, and obviously um, with my work previously with the Performance Testing Council, like the crane industry was uh, was actually uh, looking, was using it for certified, right? And there's so many so many benefits right at the end of the day, you don't have to worry about logistics of, of moving the large equipment and all that stuff. But one of the things that I recall coming up here was people with spatial issues. Have mm-hmm. you encountered that yet in your program or was it something you considered when designing the program?
0: So, uh, and with spatial issues, because I want to make sure that I answer this correctly, because there was a lot of learnings from a biological and emotional perspective of VR. Um, so when you say spatial issues, do you mean what, what exactly do we mean?
1: Well, more so like people that are, you know, and it, it probably broader, but like with dizziness and like, oh accident, yes. <laughs> like, 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 like folks, they just, you know, Again, you know, it would trigger things. It was abnormal. And some of them are like, you know, throw your hands up in the air. So where there's a lot of success, it almost becomes a barrier then to some as well.
0: So that is part of user experience design. And yes. um, So in fact, it was was interesting because I remember when um, I first started and I thought the whole woozy thing was like, whatever, I can totally take it. And um, there's a a way that in some of these environments, when you're creating them, that you're able to fly around and see everything from a 360 degree degree angle. And so uh, um, all of a sudden I got nauseous and I had to take the headset off and it took me um, a minute in order to like regain and be able to get in there. Uh, and so, yes, people can get woozy. And so when we design things, we need to design that. So I'll give you an example. When you transition, when you design it so that you transition from one world to the next, you need to fade to black and then fade back into the world because you're tricking the brain. If you just go from I'm on the beach to boom, I'm on the moon, it's just to the brain. Um, so you have to consider that. Uh, we recently, I was teaching the students, how do you choose your sky and how do you choose your floor based on the emotion that you're trying to engage for that user? And so, um, I made the whole floor, uh, a lake, right? Everywhere you could see, it was just water got somebody dizzy. And so it was like, Ooh, right. Because they're looking at the ground and, um, and they ended up getting dizzy. Uh, people are afraid of birds birds are triggering to people. Don't use birds. <laughs> uh, and so a lot. Yes. Um, you know, uh, uh, can people end up getting uh, dizzy, woozy and so forth, especially if you're sick? So if you have a cold or the flu, a lot of times it, it hurts to wear that, that those goggles. Um, you know, people can get those, those issues. Um, and what I would say as designers, we have to be considerate of that. We have to understand our users and, and create an environment where we don't have things that trigger them and we don't have things that make
1: them nauseous. That, that is actually, you nailed the response there because it was one of the things, because like, it really, I don't think that a lot of emphasis has been put on the design thing yeah. With that regard, right, like un kind of unrelated, but it's the same thing. Like I earlier this year, I had to do a balance test, and holy cow! Let me tell you, not a fan. Never want to do it again, you know. And, and because you know, and it is, and it's like the medical community is aware of the response. Like they know it's going to happen. So it's like again, we're doing some of this stuff, and to make sure that the right disciplines are 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 weighing in, right? Because listen, this. Nobody knows a human body better than than science, right? Like.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely you do. And in fact, there's um there's some debate going on right now. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm not sure where digital security fits in, but we've got a place. So you've got one of the things is, is that would be our obviously we have a haptic response, uh, you know, so I can feel a buzz. Uh, uh, you know, I've I've got some type of biofeedback going on. Um, And, uh, you know, what what can happen is that you can abuse that. And when somebody is uh, abused inside a virtual environment, oftentimes it's worse than if it happens in the physical world because it replays in our head over and over again. And when you then go back into VR, um, it's 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 very triggering. So there's this emotional impact to people being touched in a way that they don't want to be touched um, and, and hurt. Uh, and so the question is, is that, you know, some people have it so that you cross your arms or you put your hands up and so forth. But um, what we do know is that when people are scared, oftentimes trying to tell them that they have to do complex movements in order to put up a barrier. That's just <laughs> they're not going to remember it. Um, they're scared. They're going to panic. Uh, and so the question is, is that uh, a, a an avatar, you that's you. And in the physical world, a combination of say human resources and physical security would be responsible. Maybe your management is responsible for designing the controls so that you feel safe inside that physical environment. Who is responsible for that? Right. It cannot be just the people that you know, the the user experience designers. Right. It can't just be the architect there. Right. These are digital controls that are put in place to 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 protect the mental and emotional state of a real human, you know? So the, um, that argues almost for physical security as well as digital security participating to figure out, you know, exactly, and, uh, and psychologists and psychiatrists and sociologists as well to kind of figure out how, how do you design a, a, a virtualized environment in a way that people feel safe because the emotional impacts are great. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we had, I was in uh, with a class of students and we had just learned, that when you shake somebody's hand or you touch controllers to each other you got a buzz and so for the first time because you know this was before you know um we were all able to go outside again we could shake each other's hand and it was so cool Uh, and then somebody was uncomfortable about it so we stopped everything took a step back and said okay You must get people's permission to shake their hand, right? We've got to engage people. You don't just walk up to somebody in the physical world and just touch them. Um, And so the digital world is the same. And so there were those learnings as well, uh, you know, that, um, uh, you know, certainly tied to cybersecurity workforces as we get into VR. But it's, you know, to just illustrate that uh, you are 100% correct. And there's a lot of things that we've got to think through uh, because the implications to the human and the human psyche are pretty great.
1: There's all, I'm, I'm actually blown away, like the amount of information that you, that you have collected on that and are aware of, and that you're actually taking into consideration. This is exactly, it just, it reinforces how interdisciplinary our, our world is, right? Like it is like tech permeates everything and the things that we're trying to do. And you just, and, and And arguably, like, that's what's frustrating, right? Like, we talk about self-inflicted gunshot wounds within cybersecurity and and even in the broader sense of technology where we think we're the solution to everything. And that's just not necessarily the case. Like, tech doesn't replace everything, you know, and and it ties back to you talked about, you know, there are jobs that are going to go away. We need to help people to transition. But you know, there's also this belief, like that automation is going to be, is this panacea, and it's uh-huh. going to make, and it's going to make up for all these people, right? And what I think folks are losing track of, and and to me, if anything, your points just validated my stance on this, is that well, all it is is a shell game of human capital at this point, because you might recoup some some gains here on some lower level tasks. But then you need folks that are on the design, the algorithms, the auditing, like all we're doing is shifting it around. It's not really a, a, a true uh, positive gain, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah. So and, and certainly in cybersecurity, that's the way that like I see it now to me we're um and I, I hate to go a little bit out there but uh, it's happening and that is it's not just about terrestrial based security right we're going to be on the moon we're going to be on mars we're going to be you know with permanent installations and communications going back and payloads going back and forth between all of these different points payloads worth trillions of dollars Right. And the idea is, is that um, that, uh, uh, you know, that stuff is safe is, is, you know, um, not the case there. You know, if, if there's something of value, it's going to get stolen, which means that cybersecurity people are not just going to be here on this planet. Like the opportunities are are going to be pretty wide. So we need more people um, and we need more people who think um, differently. And so to me, it's like those jobs are going to go away. And automation is not a panacea, but um, there's jobs that are going to get automated. It's just going to happen. Uh, so there needs to be a place for those people to go. Uh, when we look at the uh, going back to the third industrial revolution, I was born in Indiana. I was born in uh, Gary, Indiana, which was a steel mill town. Just a, a very, uh, you know, when we look at the town and, and how much uh, money it was able to make and so forth, it did really well um, until the collapse of the steel industry, in which case the whole region ended up, um, you know, taking a massive hit. And some of these places never recovered. And, you know, that's what happens when you have like one, a monoculture of industries, right? And if that gets automated away, what, what happens with all of those people? And so for me, those people are smart, right? Those people if, they are really amazing at their jobs. If we just retrain them and teach them a new vocabulary and a way of thinking, um, you know, they have an opportunity to go into an industry that is never going to suffer massive unemployment, that is only going to be continue growing and will go past this planet.
1: You know that point you just made it just it, it anchors my belief like that that the entire con- learning continuum needs to be at the same table right. If you look yes. at like there's there's a program out in North Dakota that I, I wrote about I think last year I became aware of it. Absolutely, to me it is almost the blueprint textbook. This is what we should be doing across the U.S., the North Dakota K-20W program. And it was this public-private partnership. It involved, you know, helping to provide resources. Then they, there was some upskilling involved. It shaped academic uh, standards. And because what what's happening right now is, and we can be doing great in one aspect of the journey, but we have this university system at large that, is largely for-profit, right? They, they, they need to exist. And it. I'm not necessarily convinced that they're tied to outlooks, like BLS data to say, hey, in five years, we see this decline. Because the, the stu- there's folks that are researching that. To your point, like we know, yes, some things happen and they're emergent, like, and they take root quickly, but very rarely is that the case. Like we just, we're not very good at looking at the indicators, right? Of demise almost, right? The indicator of demise. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, let's coin that one, right? Like of what's going to happen to an industry five, 10, 15 years down the road, what are the things that are going to shape it and how are we going to prevent folks, because there's a lot of folks that have gotten pro- that went through programs to prepare themselves for jobs. And then when they got out there, it was like, uh oh, there's no opportunity.
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. a
1: disservice. Right.
0: Especially if they're paying for it. Right. You know? So like with veterans, you know, I, 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 get, I get a little sad because some of the programs will accept money from your GI bill. And, uh, you know, and if you don't come out of that program with like a big lift in compensation or, you know, the right job, I mean, you could give it to your kids. And, um, you know, there's really real human impacts to this. And I think part of it is that um, what's the goal? You know, so at Gracie, we said fit for purpose day one. Yeah. <laughs> we said you need to be fit for purpose day one. And if you reverse yourself from that, then I think what that does is that gives you the opportunity to kind of think outside of the box of everything that you need in order to be fit for purpose and where the real big gaps are, uh, you know, so it, it, it makes you realize that uh, as an example, we focus on teaching the students uh, business and understanding organizational design in different types of corporations and what those roles are and how those roles map to the applications and the services that they provide, right? Um, And the reason was, is that we ended up having to teach it in order to get them to understand the asset inventory. You know, it can't be just focusing on making sure that I can get these certifications and I can do these activities, right? It's more than that. I need to understand process. I need to understand how this activity fits within the bigger process and how do I make sure I do a good job so that my people upstream and downstream are hooked up? You know, so um, I've got to understand teamwork. We work in teams and corporations, and a lot of times people don't even have the skills of working in modern um, collaboration platforms. So you got to teach that. That takes time. Uh, you know, so I think that by understanding that the for us that the end, uh, the end goal is to get you ready for this job and not necessarily broadly to go into any job. Um, I, I think that allowed us to then really start to diagnose what it takes in order to get somebody to to be ready for the job.
1: Yeah. So as we, as we get ready to conclude here, I got a couple other points, right? Because I really want to make sure that, you know, we're getting the right message out to folks. So talk to me, like, with your journey with Gracie, what was the your biggest, the significant learning event or aha moment, like during this thing that you were, you just made you just stop in your tracks? Uh, let's
0: see. Um, so I think a couple, uh, I, I know I've harped on risk, but it was that I think the biggest thing is, is we completely underestimated everything that goes into understanding risk. So I think that's uh, one of the the big aha moments. Identity and access management audits. <laughs> if you make me do one, I would. I, I own a farm. I'd rather clean a pig pen. I do not like doing identity and access management audits. Identity and access management audits are one of the best ways to teach some of the fundamentals of cybersecurity, especially given that IAM attacks are some of the top attacks that we end up dealing with. Uh, And so, uh, uh, you know, we found that risk and identity and access management and like really hyper focusing on those areas ultimately uh, help uh, the students, uh, you know, uh, be better prepared. Uh, I think another one is teaching the students how to not answer interview questions, but to talk through how they would solve it. Uh, you're not going to have the answer. You're junior. There's like no way. And if you give an answer, you're not really going to be able to like describe why you gave that answer. I think what hiring authorities really want is they want to understand how you think. And so to demonstrate how you would think yourself out of this challenge and how you would solve it um, is, is one of the things that we were working with the students that we felt like we really needed to, to hone in. And then I think the final one is that uh, as you're teaching, um, you, you you made mention of kind of like the social issues and the cultural issues that oftentimes people come to the table with. And so what we did is we started partnering with local community organizations. So one of the things that we're going to try and do is build a class of Gracie in a community. Because if we get the chance to increase all of those people's compensations. Imagine the beneficial impact it has on that local community and really being able to establish generational wealth. Well, if you're going into some of these communities, you're sometimes dealing with trauma, significant trauma. And uh, we're remote. We're not going to be able to solve some of those problems. And so that by partnering with a local organization that can help us, it takes a village to get somebody across the finish line. So partnering with these local organizations that can help satisfy some of those societal and cultural and personal things that they're gonna need. Both of our organizations are able to work together in order to deliver, um, you know, people that are gonna be productive uh, within their companies. I think those were the big learnings for us.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely, to me, you guys are, you are on the absolute right path and I'm so excited for you. So you talked about the program, you know, roughly, what, six months. What services do you provide to the students? Sure. Uh, So uh,
0: obviously we put them through the academy. They get the hands-on experience. Uh, We help them. And I'd like to say thank you to everybody who has taught LinkedIn classes, resume classes, interview classes, you know, for the students. Uh, We've been really fortunate. Uh, So the students get prepped for the interview. Uh, Melissa works with each student once they get an offer to uh, negotiate uh, an appropriate package. One of the reasons that we tend to be lower on the pay scale is that when we first start off in our careers, we start off lower than everybody else. You know, so if we can get parity and she helps provide that right and providing the language, they get that Um, they get mentorship. And then after they've graduated from the program, if they want to brush up on their skills or they need a mentor, they need guidance. We provide that those services to them
1: afterwards as well. Mentorship is is so key to this, right? How many programs that are out there today are just what I would call fire and forget? Yeah. Get through the program, you're on your own. There's no guarantee of, of job placement, right? Which is part of the challenge. How many folks have gone through programs and they have skills atrophy because they you know, because they can't get employment. So what I love about your program here is that You know, if you we broaden our view of what experience is, you are providing it because overwhelmingly our data says that experience is the number one indicator as to what would make you a well-qualified candidate. So what is a company, you know, a company that wants to hire Gracie or its graduates? How do they get in touch with you all?
0: Sure. so a couple of different ways. One is go to uh, Gracie grc let's see is in org and uh, go to the contact us page so you can reach us there. You can also reach us at hello at Gracie.org. and then we have uh, our Gracie LinkedIn uh, channel which I highly recommend that people come and check out. We've got uh, we've actually done, several weeks of breaking down the ISACA state of security report with a hyper-focus on empathy and our empathy challenges. But uh, yeah, there's some really great stuff there. So you can also link up with us on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent. So, uh, so what can, as an industry, what can we do to help organizations such as yourself?
0: Sure. So uh, Gracie is a 501c3 nonprofit. We just got our status. We're super excited. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, so being a nonprofit donations are always welcome. Uh, but there's other ways that you can help us. Uh, one, especially if you've got any of the skills that we've talked about, uh, you know, we're always looking for teachers to be able to teach just a singular course so that the students get messages from different people. Uh, so that mentorship, if you'd like to offer mentorship to the students, uh, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, one of the big ways is, is that, again, the way that we're able to fund this uh, in-depth education for the students is through the apprenticeship program. Uh, so if uh, you have uh, uh, you know, a need, you know, we, everything we do is in teams. So whether it's a risk assessment, asset inventory, uh, an audit uh, you know, or helping to build out a program. Uh, these are things that we, uh, you actually get a, a virtual CISO as part of it. But you know, you get you know four to five students working together to ultimately solve the problem. So if you have those types of opportunities, and then the big one is, please hire our students. They are amazing, and they have such amazing stories. You know, when you hire somebody from Gracie, you know, you're bringing on not only all of that training, but you're you know bringing on somebody who's just really brave um, and has perseverance and the grit. Uh, you know, to be successful and thrive in making your organization successful.
1: Awesome. So last question is, I, I do believe you had told me that you have a, uh, you're getting ready to, to complete another class here soon. Yes. How many program graduates so far? Uh,
0: let's see. So, so far, well, we've got uh, uh, nine that will be coming across the finish line with this one. And we had uh, 14, uh, 15, sorry, with our last class. So 24, 25 students across the finish line thus far.
1: That is absolutely awesome. Janai, I want to thank you for your time. <laughs> um, I I can't praise you enough, right? Like seriously, like we have such a good time together. We obviously didn't get enough time We didn't, to dig into a couple other issues. We're going to talk again because uh, uh, there's so much to talk about and But I wanted to make sure that we get your message out. So I'm going to give you the final word. Is there anything that I didn't touch on that you really think that needs to be put out there before we close?
0: Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, just a a couple of very quick things. And, you know, first off, I, I want to thank every single human being and entity that has helped us. Uh, all of the money goes to teaching students. And so everybody, you made a difference um, with changing these people's lives. You know, so I, for me, it's, it's, it's uh, I want to make sure that people understand that Gracie at the end of the day is about gratefulness. Um, and we're grateful for uh, for all of that. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we didn't get a really a chance to talk about this problem that we've got in our industry about empathy. And I'd love to to be able to dig in on it because, you know, empathy, one of the ways that you solve empathy, right, that you make sure you inject empathy is through diverse lived experiences. And so the more diversity we bring into our groups, the more empathetic we will be. And as an industry, that's going to be key to our survival. So, yeah, I wanted to
1: point that home. That was obviously the one big point that I I had hoped we had gotten to. We will have another conversation. That is my, my personal guarantee to you. We will get that on the books here a little later this year. I absolutely want to dig into that. Thank you again. Absolute pleasure here. With that said, I'm John Brandt. This is Cyber Pros. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To listen to more podcasts from ISACA, please visit ISACA.org podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for upcoming episodes.